Psalm 42 and 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, and they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of my God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. Father, we hear the words of the psalmist, and um, they are the words of desperation and uh, despondency. Uh, and I pray uh, that we would feel the tension there as we unpack this psalm. I pray for your spirit to you. just one more time give me the physical strength to, uh, to teach and encourage your people, even in this this psalm that is dark and, and in some ways depression and brokenness. I pray that as we face those things in our lives, that we would find encouragement as the psalmist does. I ask as a man who needs this message again, uh, who even now feels at times downcast, uh, that, that my hope would be in you and not in anything that I have, uh, no ability, no uh, no study time, that just my simple trust would be in you and your strength, and Lord, that your spirit would fill me uh, to speak to your people in a way that they are encouraged. I pray that Christ would be exalted and he would be worshiped uh, because of our understanding of your word. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. Of all the Psalms, the laments are the most emotionally charged 
Uh, as you can feel, I hope, the tone and the, the tension as Grant read, what a lament does, it's an expression of, of grief and a feeling during crisis and during uh, despair and during hurt. And we've been in this series, we've entitled it Bless the Lord because our desire is as a church to cultivate worship and worshipers. And it's real easy to worship when everything's great, right? Just graduated or just this or just that and everything's good and fine and dandy. But how about when things are not great? How, how difficult is it to worship then? And that's where the laments come in. They, they help move us from, from hurt to joy and from darkness to light and from desperation to hope to worship. And the reason I find comfort in the laments and I like them is, is they're honest. They're transparent. They just say what they're thinking. They say what they feel. They, they just speak their heart. I, they're down. I'm, I'm hurt. Because there is an ebb and flow of life. There is an up and down. There is peaks and there is valleys. And as a culture and as a society, we love the peaks, but we hate the valleys. And so what we do is we try to mask the valleys and we try to get out of the valleys and we try to hide the valleys, do everything we can to avoid the valleys. But in the valley is often when we are shaped the most into the image of Christ. And so we look at a lament this morning, not to help us get out per se, but to teach us how to walk in, to teach us how to be a worshiper in the midst of the valley. And so we'll look this morning at Psalm 42 and 43. And it's two Psalms in your English Bible, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's, it's one. I don't know why the English Bible doesn't follow the early manuscripts, because it's, it's clearly one main idea and one main psalm that goes together. And in it, the psalmist, as you could hear, he is a broken man. He is, he is downcast. He is, he is wounded. If you live today, you'd say he is depressed. That's where he's at. And I, quite honestly, find it very, I'm thankful I think it's great that he's depressed. Here's a guy who is depressed, and God has him writing the Bible for us to have. And not only do we get a depressed guy that's writing scripture, in these Psalms, we get to see why he's depressed. He's going to share why he is down, why he is in the valley, why he is depressed. And, and we're going to evaluate it, and we're going to look at it. And it's great because these are the same reasons often that we find ourselves depressed, that we find ourselves in the valleys, that we find ourselves down. So we're going to walk through that and look at some of the reasons he is and some of the reasons we are. And then we're going to see how does, he, how does he handle it? How does he respond to being in the valley? And it'll teach us something about how we respond. So let's jump in. The background of the psalm, it's right up front. It's the, to the choir master. It's a maskal of the sons of Korah. All right? A maskal is a Hebrew word. We're not 100% sure what it means, but it comes from a Hebrew word that means to teach or to instruct and so most think that this is a song that teaches. This is a song that instructs. It's by the sons of Korah. And these were Levites. These were priests who were in charge of the singing in the tabernacle and in the temple. They were the worship leaders. They were the choir leaders. They were the guy up with the guitar or the piano or the organ or whatever your, your, which way you like to go. They were the guys up front leading the singing. And this was specifically to the choir master. This is the lead guy. This is a song for him, for the congregation, to lead them in worship. And it's not an upbeat ditty. Ain't gonna be no clapping at this song. But it is nonetheless a song of worship. 
And in it, we see why this guy, this sons of Korah, is down. So let's jump in. He, said, oh, he says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, my, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And, and there's another song that's written based on this, this psalm, and it's a little bit of a bright, it's kind of an older song, as the deer. And it's, it's a good song, but I think it misses a little bit the tone. The tone of this psalm is depression. It's despondency. This is not a Thomas Kincaid picture with a little deer and a little barn and a little creek. That's not the picture. If the deer was by the creek, he would be drinking. He wouldn't be thirsty. The picture is one of desperation, of of deprivation, of despondency. He is lacking what he wants. He is lacking what he needs. He's longing for something. The writer says, just like a deer that is hot and, and panting but can't satisfy its thirst, that's me. My soul is panting. I am thirsty. I am desiring something. And and he's desperate for it. And what is it that he is desperate for? What is it that he is longing for? He says it four times. For God, for God, for the living God. When do I come before God? He is hungry for God. He is thirsting. He is longing for God. He desperately wants God. Meet a man who has an intense appetite and hunger for God. He longs for God. He feels abandoned by him. He longs for his presence, and all he feels is his absence. And he believes that he's been forgotten. Verse 9 says, why have you forgotten me? 43.2 says, why have you rejected me? He feels that God has left him. Meet the psalmist who is depressed, who is wounded, who is broken because he feels like God has abandoned him. And this is one of the reasons some of us find ourselves sometimes in the valley because we look around and we look at our circumstances and we look at our life and we feel like God has abandoned us. That he is a million miles away. And, and, and it's so bad for this guy, verse three. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, where is your God? He says, I can't sleep. I'm up day and night. I can't eat. The only thing I'm eating is my tears. That's all I'm eating is my tears. I can't sleep. I can't eat. And I can't stop crying. All the while, they're taunting me, saying, where's your God? And to make matters worse, there's some sort of physical separation. He says, this is what I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go up with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I used to lead worship. I used to lead in the temple. I used to be in front and singing the songs and playing the songs, and everyone was shouting for joy, and it was great. And those days seem like a million miles away right now. God is a million miles away. That joy is a million miles away away. That is your psalmist, a godly man with a heart and an appetite for God, yet he feels like he is a million miles away. And understand it is possible to seek God and serve God and be hungry for God and feel like he is not near. To read the scriptures and feel like they are still, to pray and feel like it's bouncing back, to, to question where is God in these circumstances and to un, not think that he is near. Does that resonate with maybe any of us? ever in our lives, maybe it's you, can't stop crying, can't stop thinking about this, maybe it's your spouse, maybe you grew up in a home, it was one of your parents, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's your roommate, just feel hopeless, 
like God doesn't care. I'll, I'll be honest. This, this, I feel this more often than I'd like to admit. Sunday morning sometimes, before I come, I feel this. Monday mornings after a long weekend, four services, I feel this sometimes. But I find great encouragement because you know what? I'm not alone. And scripture is littered with men like Elijah and David and Jonah and Job and Moses and crying Jeremiah and the apostle Paul who felt the same way and Naomi who felt the same way. And in church history is littered with men who wrote great men like Charles Haddon Spurgeon who suffered great bouts of depression and, and the great, uh, great awakening speaker, Jonathan Edwards, who struggled with, with despair at some points where they longed for God, yet they felt distance. And here he is, the psalmist in the valley in depression because he feels like God has abandoned him. But, but there's more going on in his life. Look at verse six. It said, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of, of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Nazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He is somewhere geographically in the Jordan Valley, which remember the Jordan River kind of splits Israel. And there's mountains on the sides. And the picture is the water is flowing down from the, from the snow that's melted. And it's just waterfalls and rivers and it's roaring and it's loud. And, and you know, usually you'd say, oh, isn't that pretty? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, except when the water is busting over your head. He says, your breakers and your waves, they're going over me. I, I, I can't swim. I'm drowning. I, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. I can't keep my head above water. There's too much. It's just pouring over me. It's loud. I'm trying to remember, but I can't hear. It's too loud. And the water, it's just, your breakers are all over me. I, I'm caught in these waves. And the picture is the, the, the hardness of life and the trials of life are just overwhelming to him. And it's bringing him into this place of great despair. And it's the second reason some of us struggle, that we find ourselves in the valley, that we find ourselves depressed. It's because the, just the, the trials of life, they're overwhelming. They, they seem too much. Whether it's a lost one, a lost relative, a lost spouse, a lost mother, a lost, a lost miscarriage, whatever it is. Or maybe it's just the busyness of our lives where we go from this to that to this to that to this to that. And there is no time to be refreshed and there's no time to rest and there's no downtime and we're just exhausted and, and, and in despair. Or maybe it's people that are depleting us because people, let's be honest, can be depleting. You're a school teacher, and it's been nine months, and you are ready to be done this week. You're, you're a parent who just, you go from laundry to chauffeuring to meals to this to that, and you're just depleted. Your boss is a hard person. Your employees are, are hard to deal with. Your kids are wayward. Your spouse is, is, is this, and just dealing with people is just wearing or maybe it's unmet expectations. You thought you'd be out of this job and into this job, or you thought you'd be married, or you thought you'd have kids, or you thought things would get better, but it hasn't, or whatever it is, or it's health, bad back, bad skin, bad this, bad eyes, bad hearing, what, fill in the blank. Or maybe it's just flat out loneliness. In a room, in a church of a thousand people, you look around, it seems like everyone knows everybody. There's, I got, everyone else has got friends, I don't have friends. Everyone else is happy and gets to go out and do these things and knows everybody. And the only, the only person I'm intimately knowing is loneliness and emptiness. And it brings 
despair. And it feels like you're drowning in life. Meet the psalmist who feels like God has abandoned him and who feels like he is drowning in the billows of life. But there's even more. He has also enemies, apparently. And he has mentioned several of them. In 42, 9 and 10, he says, Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me, Where is your God? He says in 43, 2, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? He says in 43.1, vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. 42.3 says they, they continually say to me, where is your God? He's got opposition. And if you read the commentaries, many of them think that the sons of Korah are actually writing about David and his experience when he has to flee Jerusalem because of Absalom. Because it sounds a lot like what he was going through is his son, who he showed grace and forgave for killing his older brother, he forgives Absalom, and now Absalom is after the kingdom and has actually taken the kingdom and is threatening David's life. And David is on the run, and David is unfairly being treated by his son. And they say, that's what he's talking about. His own son is opposed to him. And he says, vindicate me, O God. But the reality is this. Sometimes we face struggles and we're in the in the in the in the depths of despair because it's just the opposition of men. Because someone, whether you know them or not, whether you care for them, maybe they're a relative, maybe they meant to or not, they have done something that has destroyed you. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse who, who the words cut and hurt. And you just feel like giving up. Why do I do it? Why do I even care? Maybe it's a parent who, who you, you're worthless and just the words, the opposition. Maybe it's a spiritual attack. You're already down. You're already feeling empty. You're already feeling lonely. And there's the enemy whispering in your ear, where is your God? Where is your God? If he was really there, this wouldn't be happening to you. And you look around at your circumstances in life and you start believing. Maybe God has abandoned. The reality is this, if you are a follower of Jesus and you stand on the principles of scripture and you stand and believe the gospel, you will face opposition. I mean, if you believe in the biblical view of masculinity and femininity as the Bible teaches, if you believe in the, the biblical ethic of purity before marriage, fidelity in marriage, if you believe in the exclusivity of Jesus' claim that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no under name under heaven by which men are saved, you believe those things, you will face opposition from parents and from relatives and professors and sisters and from friends and coworkers. You will. And the reason you will is because Jesus says, you're not greater than me. And they, they persecute me. The servant is not greater than his master. They did it to me. They will do it to you. It doesn't matter how humbly you hold to these positions. And you ought to hold humbly. And you ought to hold with no self-righteousness. But it doesn't matter how humbly you hold to truth. You will face opposition because they killed the most humble gentleman who ever lived. And so there's opposition. And it, well, it hurts. I'm a words of affirmation guy. That's my love language. It hurts. Discouragement hurts. Cutting words wound. They make you want to quit. They put you in the valley. And that is where he's in it. He longs for God's presence. He feels his absence. He's overwhelmed by the trials of life, and he's got enemies. Anybody ever been there? 
got that t-shirt. That's life. But yet here's what's awesome about this text. In the middle of it, he still worships. Doesn't he? I mean, this is a song. He is worshiping. He's writing a worship. Again, it's not upbeat. You're not going to sing it at the spring revival. You're not going to sing it Easter Sunday. But it is a song of worship. And he models the appropriate response for us of how not to turn your frown upside down or how to get out of the valley, but how do you walk through the valley when you're in it? How do you face this struggle? How do you respond? What does he do? How does he worship? He does three things that I think are practical for us and we got to get this morning. The first is this. He talks to himself. Did you catch that? Three times. Why are you downcast in my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. Three times in 42.5 and 42.11 and 43.5, he says the same exact thing. Why? Hope. He says in 43.2, why do I go about mourning? He's talking to himself, which most people would think if you start doing, you're crazy. But he does it, and he writes it down. Right? Do you know who the most influential person in your life is? Not your daddy. Not your football coach. It's you. You have a never-ending conversation that is constantly going on in your head at all times. Even right now, you're thinking, am I crazy? I'm talking to myself. Where are we going to lunch? It's cold in here. It's hot in here. How long is this guy going to go? What are we doing? You're just, you're just talking to yourself. You have, your voice is the most important voice in your life. You have your attention at all times. And usually, when you start listening to yourself, it is not a good thing. Because the conversation you have with yourself, it, it, it directs your life. And so what we need to do, the first thing that he does, and what we need to do in the valley is we need to learn to talk to yourself and stop listening to yourself, to talk to yourself. J, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great physician of the, of the 20th century slash preacher, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And it's basically an exposition of this psalm. And in it, he makes a big point of how most of our unhappiness in life comes because we are listening too much to ourselves and not talking enough to ourselves. Because what is yourself saying? Because remember, your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. What is it telling you? What is yourself saying? It's not fair. You deserve better. This is what they really meant when they said this. You'd be better off with that. You really need that, and you'll only be happy with X. That's what yourself is telling you. And what does the psalmist do? He says, stop talking. It's my turn. It's my turn now. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Why? Hope in God. He talks to himself. There's this great scene in Lord of the Rings. If you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, you can go to sleep for 30 seconds, okay? But if you are, which you should be, because if you're a Christian, you should be a fan of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> There's this great scene where, where Gollum, who is kind of this little runt guy who runs around naked and because and my precious, you know, he's that guy, okay? He has his alter ego, Gollum and Smeagol. They're the same guy, but they're constantly talking to themselves, they're having this running conversation, and Gollum's the bad guy, and Smeagol's the good guy. And at one point, 
Smeagol has had enough, and he just tells Gollum, go away. Go away. Go away. And Gollum goes away. And Smeagol, for the next 30 minutes, it's actually good. Until something bad happens, and then Gollum sneaks in and starts saying, see, I told you. And then Gollum comes back and, and controls the situation. That's what he's doing here. He's taking control. Go away. Hush, self. Hush. I'm going to talk now. I'm going to talk. You're going to listen. Right? And it's not just a one. Here, we need to learn to talk to ourselves, but it's not a one-time conversation. How many times does he tell himself? Three times. Why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Hope in God. Hope in God. Put your hope in God. Stop listening to yourself. Three times. And here's what I love. How does the psalm end? We think, oh, the psalm ends on a high note and everything's great and he's great. He's out of the valley. It doesn't end that way. How does it end? He's still having to command himself. Why are you downcast, my soul? He's not there yet, but he's getting there. He's working his way out. He's, he's talking to himself. He's still fighting. You got to learn to talk to yourself and stop listening. You say, fine, what do I say? Del, how you doing? You look good today. Thanks. Appreciate it. What, what do you say to yourself? I, I think you start where he starts. Hope in God or put your hope in God. He, see, he knows. He is keenly aware of the nature of God. He knows what God is like. He, he highlights it. Here's just a couple places. In verse 8, he says, the Lord commands his steadfast love. We talked about this last week. The word steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, his faithful love, his loyal love, his, his compassionate love, his love that never changes. He says, I'm an object of God's love. In verse 7, he says, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. That is a tremendous statement. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying, God, you are sovereign over all these trials. You are in control. They're actually your trials that you are bringing on me. They're your breakers that you're rolling over me. That your waves, these are yours. He's saying, you, are, you love me and you are sovereign. And the problem is we know that. But sometimes we know it here and we don't got it here, which is why you got to keep talking to yourself and not letting your emotions and not letting your circumstances dictate what is true. Self, hush. Hope in God. Put your hope in God. I shall again praise him. I will again, right? I will again praise him, my, my God and my salvation. Hope in God. When you don't see his hand, Spurgeon says, trust his heart. He will save me three times. He will save me. Learn to talk to yourself. Replace the lies with truth. I feel unloved. I feel like no one cares. I feel like God is a million miles away. Self, what does Paul say? What can separate you from the love of Christ? Can anything, can tribulation, can heights, can depth, can, can you even separate yourself from the love of Christ? No, you cannot. Hush. You are an object of God's love. But I... You don't know what I did. I'm a failure. I'm a wretch. I, I'm a sinner. I did this again. I, can God even forgive me? He can never forgive me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Hush! 
well, I got to look like this. I got to be a certain size. I got to dress a certain way to be accepted in this culture and to be liked and to be pretty. And this is what it really looks like. And I got to do this and I got to turn heads. Is that where value is, self? Or is your value in the blood of Christ? Is your value in who you are as a woman, who you are as a man of God? Hush! Your value is in Christ. You don't have to perform. You don't have to go out and do more. You don't have to be a chauffeur for your kids and make them happy. You can rest in Christ. Hush. It's not fair. I'm the only one that's going through this, and no one else knows. No one understands. The same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world, Peter says. Hush. He himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Hush, self. Hush. Learn to talk to yourself. That's the first thing he does. He's in the valley. And then he talks to God. He talks to himself and he talks to God, doesn't he? Several times. And here, here's just three quick observations about that. Number one, he is honest with God. He don't pull any punches. Why have you rejected me? Why have you abandoned me? These are your breakers. This is your waves. This is your, this is your deal. This is happening, God, because you are letting me. Now, how do you get away with that? It's in the Bible. He is saying, God, this is your fault. God, you've left me. I love that he doesn't let his good theology get in the way of his emotions. He just calls it how it is. Look, God is a big boy. He can handle it. He knows what you're thinking anyway. Don't try to impress him with your these and your dows and I know, Lord, that you are good and blah, blah, blah. Pour out your heart before God. He gets it. He says, cast all your anxiety on me. I care for you. He can handle it. Now you go with respect and you go with honor like he does, but be honest. He owns. My soul is cast down. I'm depressed. I'm broken. I'm not hiding it, God. I feel like it's unfair. Why is this happening? He doesn't have to answer, but you know what? He doesn't mind when you ask. He doesn't have hurt feelings. Be honest. He talks to God. He's honest. You know what else he does, and I love it? He sings. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. This is a song. We've talked a lot about singing lately, but that's because the text keeps coming back to it. There's something about singing that raises the sounds of joy. It's important. This is why corporate worship is important. This is why we like putting you crammed into a room like sardines and don't want to spread you out. This is why I like Saturday night service. We close the back row because the back row Baptists will just sit back there and hang out. Because we want you up front. We want you together. We don't want you spread out so you can't even see each other. Because there's something about sitting next to a guy, sitting next to a gal. It doesn't matter how loud their voice is, but you're singing together. And when you're singing about who God is and singing his truths and you're reminding yourself, there's something that is good for your soul. It raises the sounds of joy. It's why the worst thing you can do is when you are down, even though you feel like it is to just pull that, that covers over your head and stay home, just, just come, just even if you listen to the sounds of joy, because there's something there that, that's good for your soul. He sings. And then one other thing he does is he talks to God. I love it. He talks to God about God. That's kind of weird, isn't it? He, he talks to God about God. He reminds him, you are my refuge. You are my God. Your steadfast love is there. He talks about God to God. I, I love it as a dad. My, my kids see all my brokenness, and there's a lot more brokenness and good, I can promise you. But I love it when my kids see once in a while something good about me, and they actually say something about it. 
I love it when they, when they understand this is what dad is like and this is a good thing. One thing, one of the few things I do well is I'm rarely late. My Marine Corps dad, my Citadel, whatever it is, I mean, in my mind, you're an hour early, you're on time, you're anything else, you're late. Right? That's just the way I think. And my kids get it. So if they know they want to be at practice on time, school on time, whatever, where are they going to go? Dad, let's go. Because they know I'll get them there like three hours early. All right? And they like that. But I love that they affirm that this is what dad does and this is good. And so they trust in that. There's something in them that it's, it's peace to their soul. There's something in me that rises up and gets me excited that they can count on me and they can trust in me. That God doesn't need his ego boosted. He has no ego. He doesn't need you to tell him how great he is. He knows how great he is. But there's something about you telling God how great he is that is affirming in your soul that your daddy is full of steadfast love, that your daddy is full of grace, that your daddy is sovereign over all things. And there's something there when you talk to God about God that reminds us and it gets it from here to here. He talks to himself, he talks to God, he sings, he's honest, he talks to God about God. And there's one more thing he does, and I think this is vital, and it's hard, but it's vital, is that he keeps pursuing God, doesn't he? I mean, he opens and says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, my soul thirsts for the living God. When I come and appear before God. He's longing for God. He's striving for God. And, and even though he feels absent, he's still pursuing him. And this goes against what the norm in our lives should happen. Me and my wife did this. We were doing this Daniel diet a few weeks ago. We're still kind of on it, but you basically are allowed to eat grass and drink water. That's it. Okay? That's basically the essentials of it, right? No, no, no steak, no good, you know, no tasty cakes, no nothing. Well, the worst thing when you're on the Daniel diet eating grass and drinking water, water is to go to the grocery store, right? Because you're longing for tasty cakes, and there they are, and I have to see them. And I'm longing for hamburgers and pizza, and there it is. And it doesn't make me like grass anymore. It makes me want that. And so the easiest thing is to, is to not go and to not think about it. That's the, that's the easiest thing if, if I'm going to do that, Right? And that's what we would normally say. If I'm, I'm desiring something, I can't have it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to put it out of my mind. But when you're talking about God, you don't want to put it out of your mind. When you're longing for him and he feels distant, you don't put him out of your mind. You keep pursuing because the danger is if you stop, you will try to substitute something that is subpar, something that will not satisfy a relationship, social media, prescription drugs, drowning it out with alcohol, whatever it is, instead of getting the real deal and it will leave you wanting so don't stop if you feel distant, if you feel, oh, he's not listening to my prayer. I, I feel like the scripture is stale. You keep reading. You keep pursuing. You keep praying because he promises whoever hungers and thirsts will be satisfied. And it's not that he's just distant and he's gone. He is trying to teach you to hunger and thirst more for him and be satisfied ultimately in him. And that is a hard thing to do when you feel like it's, it's not working. But you keep doing it because he promises you will be satisfied. He says it, doesn't he? He says, I will worship. I will worship again. I shall praise again. He even says at the end, he says, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I will praise you with the liar. Oh God, my God. He said, I'm gonna get back up front. I'm gonna lead worship. I'm gonna do it. It will happen. And I'm not gonna stop until I get there. You can pray for relief. And he does. Vindicate me, save me. But he pursues God. Because whether you get relief or not, if you pursue him, you'll have him, and that's all that matters. 
look, it doesn't promise out of the valley. In fact, it ends and he's not out of the valley. But what does he do when life is just waves on his head, when he's being oppressed by his enemies, when he feels God is separate? He talks to himself, he talks to God, and he keeps pursuing God. And that's what we do. And then we, we are worshipers like him. Like some of you are in the valley right now. Some of you are at the peak, but you don't know that next month you're going into a valley. You don't know it. No prediction. You have no clue. But they're coming. It's life. Ups and downs. The valleys are coming. We want to be worshipers. And God in his grace and his providence has done what for us? He's given us a model. Not of how to get out, not to turn your frown upside down, but to be a worshiper in the middle of it. This is, this is tough stuff. But aren't you glad that God is honest? Aren't you glad that he's honest with us? And he doesn't pretend that everything's always perfect. Yay! How many churches you walk in, everything's perfect. We're all happy, happy. He, he shows you it's not. It's not always perfect. It's not always happy, happy. Sometimes it's the valley. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's struggling. But he is there and he gives hope. Hope in God. And the ultimate model for this, y'all, as a church, is who? It's the Savior. The night before he is crucified, he looks at his 11 disciples. One's already rejected him. is on the way to betray him. And he tells Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, all these guys, my soul is greatly troubled. He uses the same language of the psalm. My soul is deeply troubled even to the point of death. How desperate is Jesus at that point? He, he's, it's, he's so down, it's to the point of death. Why? Because the next day, he would become sin on our behalf. His father, who he had perfect fellowship and intimacy from eternity past, would reject his son and pour out all his holy wrath on his son so that he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No one in this room can ever say that God has forsaken you. Never. As bad as it gets, God never has forsaken you, but he forsook his son so that you could experience eternal life, so that you could be satisfied in him. He became rejected and the object of God's wrath so that you could be accepted and the object of his love. So as bad as it gets, we can never say what Jesus did You've rejected me. And he has given his spirit, the comforter, the counselor, so that you will know that he will be with you forever to the end of the age. And so we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate the table. Where we celebrate the, the body of Christ, broken, pierced for you, the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sin. And if you're a Christian, we invite you to celebrate with us. We're gonna, this is how we're going to do it this morning. The men are going to hand out the elements, and we'd ask that you just hold it. Hold it for a few minutes. Ethan and the team are going to come up, and Ethan's going to sing us this psalm. He's going to sing this psalm to us. This is not a congregational song. This is not join along. The words will be up, but don't sing with them. Just listen to the words of the song. Resonate with them. Think about them, and think about the Son of God who experienced these words as well. And then together... In a few moments, we will celebrate and partake and continue to sing. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, our savior, our God. 
who has not rejected us, who has not left us as orphans. We celebrate what he has done, being broken and pierced for us, for our transgressions, for pouring out his blood for our sins. And we know no matter how dark the valley may get, that you are with us, that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. I pray as we worship, as we celebrate, as we remember, Christ will be exalted. It's in his name we pray.